JB, we uh, got some interesting, exciting news uh, just before we start recording today, and uh, that was the D3Football.com all-region teams. Uh, the East had some great representation. We encourage you, uh, in fact, we'll probably roll some of the names on the screen as I'm saying this right now, of uh, the East region guys that we've uh, talked to, uh, games we've attended and interviewed. I mean, it's just a whole bunch of guys that are recognizable names if you watch our show over the last 90,000 weeks or whatever uh, it's been. Um, <laughs> Feels like. <laughs> yeah, it really does. But, um, you know, there's there's one glaring omission slash, not a mistake, because the guy that was named here is deserving of honors, no doubt. But, yes. boy, it, it, during our Blitzer show, you said something that I made fun of you of, and apparently I took it for granted, and uh, it didn't transpire. What was that? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of made the captain obvious statement of uh, you know Jeff Behrman of Union College being the the East Region Coach of the Year, and lo and behold, we you know, hey, Coach Ritter going nine and zero for the first time in, in Middlebury College history. Uh, it's certainly worthy uh, candidate, but I, I don't know. I guess I was a little surprised that, um, you know, after the run that Union had, I don't think anybody had them um, really on their radar. Uh, and, and Middlebury, to a lesser extent, I mean, you know, the, the NESCAC being such an isolated conference, you know, I, I, I was it, – it's interesting when you see that, you know, the coach of a program that doesn't have any players in, I think, the first or second teams – I mean, maybe that's why he's the coach of the year. Is he's able to do it with with guys who don't make the all region team? I don't know. Uh, I just think it would have been nice for for Coach Behrman. I mean, he did obviously win the Liberty League Conference uh, Coach of the Year or Coaching Staff of the of the Year award, but um, just based on the playoff run and, and what Union was able to accomplish this year, it seemed like he, you know, at least could have been like a co coach or something. I don't know. Well, so here's uh, what has happened now uh, for the last three seasons, including this one. Uh, we have become an East Region show, as you know, JB, only too well, because it's kind of uh, forces us out of our comfort zone at times, but we've gotten better at this, I think, as the years have gone by. Uh, I, I feel yeah. like we are overdue for giving out an award of some sort. And I think this really has spurred the idea that, you know what? We should do the In the Huddle East Region Coach of the Year Award. And... Right now, we're going to announce it for the first time. This will become an annual thing as long as we're on the air. Uh, I, 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 we're not well prepared for this, so we're just going to bring in a prop to make it look like we, we have an award of some sort. But <laughs> this, is, this may not be the actual award, I'll tell you right now. But at least it looks like a good trophy of some sort that we can, you know, engrave <clears throat> in the bottom. Coach Jeff Behrman of Union College is our first annual 2019 East Region Coach of the Year, based on his performance, uh, bringing the Dutchman uh, to an undefeated season. Nobody really, except for me, uh, named them the probable winners of the Liberty League this year. And yeah. even that was a stretch for me to uh, make that call, but I did. And yeah. you know what? They won it. They advanced in the playoffs, and they put up 41 points. That's more points than Muhlenberg even put up against them, against Salisbury on two yeah. Saturdays ago in the uh, round of 16. So, well-deserved. Coach Behrman, congratulations on being our first-ever Coach of the Year here on In the Huddles, uh, East Region Coach of the Year Award. Having said that, you know what time it is, folks. Uh, it is week 14 of In the Huddle.
I just I just wait for you now to just to uh, show me numbers on the screen with your uh, digits uh, there. I'm trying. Uh, yeah, I, that's, this, I can't beat that trophy though. That's pretty. That's that's pretty nice. This is like all world. <laughs> and unfortunately, we can only afford to give him. Let's see. There's Africa. There's the U.S. Okay, uh, we can only afford to give him yep. the East Region portion of this trophy. So mm -hmm. we'll just carve this out somehow, uh, right there. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know, we have some quarterfinals to talk about before we move into semifinals mode here. And uh, there's yeah. a lot of action. Again, we got plenty of clips here. That's uh, about six pages worth of clips that we're going to be going through in a second. But, JB, as always, people want to hear your assessment of what we saw this past weekend before you went to see Tampa Bay play and got slightly tipsy on Sunday, I'm sure, in the process of watching that as the Bucks came back in the fourth quarter to win in a big comeback game. Yeah, I think um, th this weekend, I, I, honestly, Frank, seemed to be more about um, about the defenses than some of these. You know, we all we hear tons about you know the you know the Erdmans and the Rudders and um, you know the quarterbacks and, and everything, but it really was the the Muhlenberg defense that, that really made a statement. And I think Del Val too should get a lot of credit for how they um, they hung around. They they had a couple of tough breaks. Uh, the Nigro fumble was a killer um, that that could have gotten them in that game a lot earlier and maybe affected the out outcome. But the way they fought back, um, Dan Allen, who was on the show last week, the senior tight end, had another uh, huge game um, and really kept the Aggies in the fight against uh, this real tough North Central team that we're going to be talking about a little more later in the show. Indeed. And uh, you know what? Let's jump in. Let's show some clips. Let's uh, go over these games. This is... Crunch time for week 14 of the 2019 season. It's quarterfinals. Okay, we're going to start in the upper right and go clockwise today uh, to start at least. And we're going to start. Yeah, that's well. Yeah, that way. That's right. You got it now. It's only taken three years of video to get uh, directions right for all of us. Uh, we're going to start with Muhlenberg and Salisbury at Salisbury. And we're going to start with a defensive moment here on second and five at Muhlenberg's 11. It looked like Salisbury was going to go into score, but Chad Gleason drops the ball. And it was uh, recovered by Spencer Kieran of Muhlenberg uh, at the 12-yard line. That's five minutes or so into the game. A few minutes later, uh, Max Kieran... Uh, a 23-yard pass from Michael Nikowski made it 7-0 Muhlenberg. Later in the first quarter, there's Karen again from Nikowski with 141 left in the first quarter. It's suddenly 14-0 after looking like it was going to be 7-0 Salisbury. It's 14-0 Muhlenberg. The halftime score ended up being 17-0 as a field goal was added on. Was it, would it end there? No. Muhlenberg continued. Mitch Daniel received a 22-yard touchdown pass nine minutes into the second half from Nakowski, making it 24-0. That's pretty much all they wrote after uh, Jack Lanham had a six-yard run uh, to make it 24-8 that you're seeing with 6.29 left in the fourth quarter. The onside kick attempt failed, so the final score was indeed 24-8 in favor of Muhlenberg. We're showing you some stats on the screen, uh, some highs and some uh, time possession numbers, etc. here. But JB, uh, this was a performance that a lot of people didn't see coming in terms of holding Salisbury to eight points. 
Yeah, and under 200 yards, which is uh, like 200-plus yards well below their season average. Yeah, it really was a um, just a dominating defensive performance of, uh, by Muhlenberg, who unbelievably, I mean, you know, for only one touchdown allowed in 12 quarters of playoff football. Really impressive effort there. Um, uh, but what can, you, what, what can you say? I mean, I, I, I noticed early on that the Salisbury defensive backs were – kind of uh, pointing fingers a little bit at each other. It seems like there was a few blown assignments um, that, that maybe rattled them a little bit early on, but they uh, you know, they, they kind of shored things up in the second uh, second half. It just was a little, you know, too little too late after Muhlenberg was able to jump to that uh, 17-0 lead. Holding Salisbury to 49 passing yards tells a lot of the story, 176 yards overall. Uh, time possession was 32-28 to 28 in favor of Muhlenberg in that game. Let's go to the lower right-hand bracket, and that is Delaware Valley at North Central. And North Central started the game pretty strongly here uh, after some back-and-forth action in the first quarter. 13 minutes into the game, uh, Hardy takes the 40-yard pass from Brock Rudder, uh, making it 14-0 to here. Uh, you know, DelVal had chances in the first quarter to equalize, but uh, this touchdown pretty much made it a uh, more distant affair at that point. Halftime score ended up being 17 to 0. So we're going to skip ahead to the third quarter when suddenly DelVal woke up. Three minutes and 17 seconds yeah, into yeah. the second half, Ryan Norton catches his nine yard touchdown pass from Anthony Fontana to make it 17 to 7. And only two and a half minutes later, take a look at this play. Dan Allen breaks free, an 85-yard passing touchdown from Anthony Fontana, but Allen did a lot of the work wow. to get free there. 14-17, North Central decides at that point we need to take up some clock-consuming drives to hold off DelVal, and they did so. Familiar face, Kaminsky takes the touchdown catch from Brock Rudder from 11 yards out to make it 24-14 with 4.27 left in the third quarter. A 12-play drive by North Central. They just never gave him another chance, really, in this game as Greenfield yeah. gets a two-yard touchdown run for North Central, make it 31-14. That's your final as, uh, you know, North Central answered the bell there a couple of times because it looked like Del Val was going to start surging there in that second half. And North Central said, no, you're not. Not on our watch here and not at our stadium. Time possession again, 34 to 26 in favor of North Central. And uh, yardage-wise, though, hey, not that far off. It was 324 no. to 365 uh, in favor of North Central. But again, that early hot start for North Central really put them over the top. Yeah, but there's a lot to be optimistic about if you're an Aggies fan because they do return a lot of players from this uh, MAC championship defense, and they'll probably be uh, you know top 15 team uh, going into next season, uh, probably favored to win the MAC again. Uh, I think um, they proved uh, to a lot of people, me included, that they uh, belonged in the top 10, and they certainly showed up. And, and you know the, the score sort of belies the fact that this was a pretty close game for most of most of it and North Central really had to grind out uh, you know, some drives to, to put this Aggies team away. Yeah, that, that six minute plus drive there toward the end was a huge deal right there. Uh, let's look at the lower left bracket and that is St. John's at Wheaton. <laughs> you, you probably saw what happened in this game. Let's first get through some other stuff as uh, Jackson Urban looked tremendous on this touchdown pass to Ravi Alston. A 20-yard pass making it 7-0, three and a half minutes into the game. The end of the first quarter, 
St. John's again. Uh, here's Blake Patrick, a 69-yard pass uh, from Erdman, making it 14 to nothing uh, with uh, two seconds left in the first quarter. Wheaton would fight back, but let's look at one more touchdown from St. John's. Again, Alston from Erdman, 27 yards this time, halfway through the second quarter. Our halftime score was 21 to 7 in favor of St. John's. Then all hell broke loose in the second half. First, McDunkin's two-yard touchdown pass from Luke Anthony for uh, Wheaton made it with uh, basically 10 minutes into that third quarter, 21 to 14, and eventually Wheaton does tie just at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Matthew Tucker with a three-yard touchdown run, he made it 21-21. That woke up Jackson Erdman and company. About a minute and a half later, Blake Patrick takes a 54-yard touchdown pass from Erdman. The extra point is missed, and keep that in mind, folks, 27-21. About four and a half minutes later, though, Luke Anthony, with his seven-yard touchdown run, makes it 27-27. All you need is the extra point now to take the lead. It was blocked, and the two-point conversion was no good, actually, uh, making uh, this... A 27-27 tie. So we continue, and St. John's does answer back. Jack Kemper from Erdman, a 27-yard touchdown pass, makes this 34-27 St. John's. So the final drive is Wheaton's. They go 552 uh, off the clock, 14 plays, and here's the play. In the backfield, Hibbins in the end zone, touchdown Thunder! Oh, he, spiked it. he spiked it, and that means the extra point is going to be from 15 yards back. Indeed, he did spike the ball, and uh, it was an unsportsmanlike conduct call. Here's the extra point. Snap put down, extra point, plenty of distance. He no good. It. But wait, there are flags on the field. There are two fouls on the play. Substitution foul, 12 men on de on offense. Personal foul, roughing the kicker on defense. Those fouls will offset. Replay. We'll replay wow. the down. We had too many All men right. on the field. Wow. Another chance. Here we go. And oh my goodness, he missed it again from 35 yards. Uh. The onside kick failed. And it was 34-33. St. John's winning in the final. Unbelievable back and forth in that game. St. John's held yeah. to minus 12 rushing yards with 407 passing yards in the game, whereas uh, Wheaton outgained St. John's in the end 455 to 395, and Wheaton uh, controlled the clock really 36 to 23 and a half, 36 and a half, 23 and a half uh, rather. So a rare time possession yeah. imbalance going the wrong way in the game, but you know you felt like Wheaton in that second half was the team that was going to win this game just the way they were playing. And if they went to overtime, they very well may have, but they didn't make it that far because of that extra point. We had over 14,000 views. CBS Sports picked it up as well. Uh, what happened there? JB, you saw it as well. My goodness. Yeah, and it's a, you know, I feel bad for the, um, you know, the, the player who, who spiked the ball. He, you know, I can't blame him. And, you know, how many times does an offensive lineman get to score a touchdown? I mean, it's like a you know, Peisman Trophy um, candidate moment right there. But the, at the end of the day, I think the refs made what was probably you know, the, the correct call. Um, it's the rules there for a reason, and they enforced it. And ultimately, the kicker had two opportunities to convert the kick and just couldn't. Um, 
you know, it's a tough way for the Thunder season to, to end. And I believe their, their head coach just announced either earlier today or yesterday that he's going to step down and retire. Um, you know, hey, it's a, it'll be it'll be something that they'll talk about at Wheaton for a few years to come. But if there's already a new chapter uh, about to start there for the Thunder and a uh, tough way for their season to end. But you have to give um, Erdman credit, who and I thought maybe Brock Rudder sort of won the the um, Glory Trophy, which I think is being presented uh, this week. I know you're working on on the show with D3Football.com again next week. Uh, but Erdman uh, next week. OK, so Erdman. With this performance, though, I mean, he's he's a gamer, and uh, he really gives the Johnnies a shot to go back to the side bowl. Um, it's going to be a great matchup um, against another team that we'll talk about in just a second. Muggs Wider uh, did announce his retirement Wednesday. Uh, the Stag Bowl uh, awarding will occur during the Stag Bowl pregame show next Friday. Uh, and also, okay. um, we should say that... Uh, you know, all things considered, that penalty is an automatic penalty. They have no discretion as, ref as referees. If they see the spike, they have to call the spike because you know what? The other coach would be down their throats uh, if uh, they didn't make that call. It's equity and everybody knows what the rule reads in the book. It says no spiking, period. Let's go to the final game, the yep. upper left-hand bracket, Whitewater versus UMHB. It was obvious from the start what Whitewater's uh, game plan was. Suck that clock down to nothing and the make rock. sure yep, and make sure you're efficient in those drives. It worked. He took 1046 off the clock in their first drive, a 17 play drive that led to a 19 yard field goal for a 3-0 score. Then halfway through the second quarter, another 12 play drive that took eight minutes off the clock as Jared Ware, who just was having a phenomenal day, maybe not in yardage numbers, but just in the heart he was yeah. showing and also scoring in this game. Uh, made it 10 to 0 with the two yard run. Mary Harden Baylor, though, somehow has a chance at the end of the first half to actually tie or take the lead. First, John L. Reed with the six yard touchdown pass from Jace Hammock made it 10 to 7 with 49 seconds left in the second quarter. Then, first and 10 at Mary Harden Baylor's 41, Max Miller's uh, pass is intercepted by Tevin Jones after being tipped. Jones returned it to the 47 of Whitewater. So there's a real chance there were 32 seconds left for Mary Harden Baylor. Well, yeah. there's a sack, an incompletion with a pass rush, a sack again, and led to fourth and 24 at the Whitewater 46 yard line. And Jace Hammock was sacked for a 17 yard loss for the uh, last play of the second quarter. So we went in at 10 to 7 at halftime in the third quarter. There is where again, 9.27 left in the third quarter. He scores at a five-yard run, nine-play, 85-yard drive, five and a half minutes off the clock, and a field goal added by Kasinica uh, from 42 yards out, uh, making it 20-7. to seven. Now things are looking really bad, but here's, look at this play. Jared Ware just would not go down in a lot of these plays. 12-yard run to the one-yard line in the fourth quarter. The one-yard run for the touchdown. Makes it 26-7. That's your final. Whitewater upsets Mary Harden Baylor, the defending national champions in this game. Mary Harden Baylor rushed for minus three yards. They had a total of 140 yards of offense in the game versus 358. Look at the time possession, though, folks. 42-45 to 17-15. That's ridiculous, but it's by design. <laughs> like yeah. that Ithaca Union game earlier in the season... The team that knows they have to win the game by running and shutting down a passing attack does it by slowing down the game or speeding up the clock, uh, to say the least, 
and being efficient on yep. their possessions. What a recipe they cooked up uh, against Mary Harden Baylor Whitewater, and they win it 26 to 7. It wasn't even close. Yeah. I mean, I guess there was that one point when it was 10 to 7. If you were a crew fan, you, you thought maybe you could have a chance to get back in there. I thought there, you know, I knew going into this game that the um, the starting offensive center uh, was out for for the crew, and that that might you know, lead to some blocking issues. Some of those sacks, maybe that was you know, part of the part of the challenge there. But you need you know the next man up um, types of situations. And honestly, Frank, I was kind of surprised that um, when it was pretty clear that the offense needed something else, that one of the other um, you know quarterbacks wasn't given a chance. Uh, that's on Coach Lee. He's, uh, you know, he, he's that's that's been his his guy from from day one. And um, you know, I don't know if if Lou Porman or the or the freshman quarterback would have really made a difference in this one. The way that uh, the Warhawks just you know ground the clock and, and ran behind that huge offensive line, but you know, at the there was an opportunity to to do something there, but they they stuck with what had worked with for them. Um, we we thought it might come back to bite them. It did, and so. Whitewater is uh, into the semifinals. Yeah, indeed. Uh, let's uh, close this one out, though, to say that is crunch time for week 14, the quarterfinals of 2019. Okay, JB, um, let's uh, kind of go back here for a second. Uh, look at these games. Look at the semifinals that have developed because of them. And uh, we'll give some starting thoughts on uh, what's developing here. Uh, this show will not go too long because uh, we're going to have one more show this week doing the tail of the tape uh, for the two games. Might expand it a little bit for you. Uh, we've noticed that other uh, schools may be doing their uh, own tails of the tape now. Nice job, guys. They have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah Mjolnberg's doing one every day this week, I think, in fact. Uh, but we're going to have some interviews uh, in that show as well with some playoff participants coming up. But let's go left side first uh, this time. The games we most recently talked about. Uh, it's Whitewater. Uh, and St. John's. So no number ones from any of the quadrants made it through. And so Whitewater uh, was the better of the two seeds in the respective brackets, and that's why they are hosting uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, the weather's probably going to be slightly cold, uh, but St. John's is kind of used to that too, so that shouldn't be a huge effect yeah. in the game. Uh, but you know, when you look at this game, they haven't played each other in 11 years, uh, even though the, a lot of the chatter, as our friend Greg Thomas was saying, is that, oh, we, we're old friends. We've done this many times before, but it's been 11 years, guys. Uh, you really haven't seen yeah. each other that many times. I think four total in history, a few times within a few-year period. But this is fresh yeah. uh, for a lot of people. Yeah. And here's the, the real question I have. Is St. John's defense capable here of stopping that run and even Miller's pass because they showed some real moxie in offense, did uh, Whitewater. And if they use the same game plan against St. John's, which I think they will, uh, in terms of trying to you know slow down the game, quicken up the clock type thing, I, I mm -hmm. think they could be successful in this game. What's your initial thought? Well, we know that from last week's tail of the tape that the Johnny's defense only allowed 86.8 yards uh, per game on defense. But, uh, you know, clearly uh, Wheaton was able to run the ball um, much better than that. And, uh, you know, probably should have won that game if not for um, some some of the miscues that we that we saw in the recap. But, I mean, the one X factor that the Johnny's have in Erdman, you just can't really – 
you know, there's no stats or anything that, that you know you can put on that. He just he makes plays. If if he has the ball with a, a little bit of time left in the fourth quarter, anything is possible. So um, I agree with you. Like the the the, the Ithaca Union game plan is going to have to be you know put into effect here because the last thing you you know you want if you're a Warhawks defender is Erdman on the field. Um, so yeah, run the ball, pound the rock, burn the clock. And keep a you know keep a potential two-time Gallardi Trophy winner on the sidelines if you can. Let's go to the uh, right side, the more eastern side of uh, this bracket. Let's call it and uh, Muhlenberg hosting North Central. Now a lot of people may be surprised by that development, but Muhlenberg was essentially the number two seed in their yeah. uh, bracket. North Central, we figure out, is basically a three or a four depending on uh, how they were viewed by the committee, but still that is a lower ranking uh, uh in their bracket and so muhlenberg yep. hosts uh th this this is a tough game to read and we're not going to read it fully right now i want to see the tail of the tape and see what develops from that brock rudder and kamensky with that offense versus frankie Fe uh, frankie feaster excuse me among others on the defense we'll talk to a couple of the defenders uh, in our thursday show but I, it, this is going to be interesting because, again, and I, I said it going into the Del Val game, I didn't think my union's defense was ready for what North Central was about to deliver. It's not a knock on, North, on Mount Union's defense per se. They just hadn't had the challenge all season. So it's tough to suddenly face that challenge the way they had to. And I think DelVal proved to us by holding them to 31 points, and it was really 24 for most of the game, you know, uh, uh, kind of a late uh, garbage time-ish uh, touchdown, made it 31. But, you know, it's earned still. It's 31-14 uh, final. But to me, they did defensively better than what most teams could have ever dreamed to do to them. Now, Muhlenberg, to me, is even a better defensive team than DelVal overall right now, the way I'm seeing it. Is this... A game destined for low score that plays in the hands of Muhlenberg? I don't know, but it could be very interesting. Your thoughts? Yeah, on one hand, I would say that it probably does because these defenses are so strong. But on the other, you have two really outstanding quarterbacks who can know how to put up a lot of points. And so um, I think field position will be a, a big deal, especially getting off to a, a good start for each of the respective offenses. Um, you know, in Muhlenberg, even though they're the host and the higher seeded and ranked team, a lot of people are going to view them as major underdogs to a Midwestern, um, you know, conference uh, powerhouse type of team like North Central. So even though the the South slash East region host and team, uh, you know, is is technically the only undefeated team left in the tournament. The high, probably one of the, the highest ranked teams, I, I guess, at this point, um, given who's who's fallen out. Um, but they're probably going to be viewed as, you know, North Central and Brock Rutter, they're going to come in and kill them. I'm sure that's what some of the national pundits are going to say. I do feel, though, the Mules defense will give them a chance, and uh, they could very well uh, be the difference in, in, in winning that game and getting the Mules into the Stag Bowl. It will be uh, interesting. I, I agree with you uh, that the perception of this game could be very different from what the reality will hold in it. Even if yeah. uh, North Central wins it, I don't think it's going to be in a uh, style of they just ran them over. And, you know, they, they, I, I think Del Val showed us that North Central has flaws too. And oh yeah, and I think North Central showed us that 
my union needs to play some teams earlier in the season that test their defense and wake up that defense sufficiently. Because I, I got to be honest with you. I think Mount Union has a better defense than DelVal. So what the heck accounts for the absolute yeah. score fest that occurred a week earlier beyond the idea that they weren't tested? DelVal was tested. They had Wesley twice. Yeah. Okay, They had the MAC teams, which are good teams offensively that the defense had to yeah. face. Muhlenberg has been tested. Okay, Let, Let's not kid yeah. ourselves. Uh, Hopkins, uh, you know, they beat. Susquehanna obviously was no slouch now that we uh, look back and see how they did toward the end of the season sure. there and in the bowl game. So something has to explain that deficiency by Mount Union, but also it helps us understand that North Central may have gone into the DelVal game with a slight over-security over feeling, and maybe they correct that going into the Muhlenberg game. I don't know. We'll look again at the tail of the tape on Thursday. We'll do a lot of things here. Thursday also is the day that when the finalists for the Glarity Trophy will be announced. So we go from 12 down to 4. Uh, the vote is not retaken. We just let you know who the top four vote-getters were. And then the announcement of the ultimate winner is live next Friday on our pregame show, uh, along with the All-America teams from D3Football.com. So you want to stay tuned for that. We'll have some coverage on Saturday from Muhlenberg, exactly what form that's going to take. We're still trying to figure that out, but we'll be there in some format. I'll be doing videos on the sideline to the degree I can with the ESPN3 coverage that's going to be there, don't forget. And uh, we will obviously be covering things right on through to the end of the season, like we said. JB, fasten your seatbelt. This is going to be an interesting weekend to see who's going to make the Stag Bowl. You know, I guess we have to root for Muhlenberg, the closest thing to the East team we got left, because... Yeah, while right. they're the South region, they're east to us, and so we'll uh, we'll adopt them for now. That's a kiss of death, folks. I hate to tell you, so that's a big problem, but we won't go there. We'll see you guys on Thursday here on In the Huddle.